Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm in studio. Fletcher Johnson has popped in. For longtime listeners of the show, you will remember Fletcher Johnson. He was part of the show. He's an installment in the show for like 100 years. <laughs> he is sitting in the studio. It's good to see a human being in yeah, the studio. Yeah, right? How Let's go. Uh, good, man. How are you? I'm well. I want I got a bunch of things I want to talk to you about, and you have a wish that you want to share, and we'll, we'll talk about that coming up. Yeah. But we've been talking about Dan Lanning. You're... Your family, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys have had duck season tickets for like 50 years. Uh, yeah, my parents had them since before I was born, and that's 35 yeah. years right there. So yeah. something like that. Okay, so give me an idea. How, how is Dan Lanning being received by Duck Fan? I think people are excited. Uh, and, you know, we hear it uh, in the callers earlier today. People are excited about it. Um, I think for me, when I look at it, I, I think – uh, a young guy who seems to want to put down some roots is obviously a good thing. Uh, There's a program that had a lot of stability at the head coaching position for a long time with Rich Brooks and Mike Bellotti, and then basically since Chip Kelly left, it's been kind of a revolving door yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. So I think people are excited. Uh, I'm uh, certainly of the more realistic perspective of, hey, get to, get to nine wins this year, <laughs> and that's a successful year. You're not going 12-0. No, not going 12-0. Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> okay. You see what Utah's bringing back. You yeah. play Georgia to start the year. There's just a couple a couple games in there where you go, you just got to expect to lose them, and if you win them, that's that's a yeah. cherry on, on top of the top of the ice cream, right? I left media day thinking there there might be a bunch of seven- and eight-win teams in this conference. Yeah. Cause it just has that feel like – I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford, they went 3-9 and nine last year. I wouldn't be surprised if Stanford won seven. Yeah. Like, you know, Cal could win seven. Oregon State could win seven. Oregon could win seven or eight. Like, there's just a whole bunch of teams, like, aside from Arizona and Colorado, that you could go – Washington could win seven. Washington yeah. State. Like, I feel like it's going to be one of those years where they all beat up on each other and the rest of the country goes, oh, the Pac-12 sucks. Right. But it's just parody. What do you make of all the realignment stuff? Tell, give me the reaction in, in oh, your world. Man, I don't know. You know, I think it's one of those. It's one of those signs. I feel like I'm getting old, right? Like I'm. I'm starting to go, man. College football isn't going to be like it was when I was a kid, you right. know. And it's like, nope. That's just kind of the way the world works. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing that I always come back to is the the conference was in a position to me where they were lose-lose, right? Like it seemed very clear that USC was unhappy uh, and they were not going to express their unhappiness until after they had made the decision to leave. Yeah. Uh, UCLA is a whole different ball game, right? But you think of some of the decisions that were made over the course of the last five years, whether by Larry Scott, whether by Ed Ray, the president of Oregon State, one of the staunchest supporters, and you understand why and you understand the position that Ed Ray, let's say, was in specifically. Is you know that USC and UCLA were going, we shouldn't be sharing money or we shouldn't have equal revenue sharing yeah. with these schools that aren't bringing in any money and don't dedicate any resources to their athletic program or specifically maybe their football program. But Ed Ray's going, well, this is great. We love it. Let's keep status it's quo. It's great for Oregon yeah, State. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So he, if he doesn't say that, then Oregon State loses out. But then if he does, then USC and UCLA are going to cut bait and go, well, we're out. See you later, you know? When you were part of this show, give me give me your years that you were here. Because I feel like 
We were talking about Larry Scott while you were there. Yeah, absolutely. I was 2012 to 2016, somewhere in there. We were saying at the time, this is a problem. He's driving the conference into the side of the mountain. And, you know, at the very beginning of that, I can remember, like, in 2012, 2013, people were telling me I was crazy. Like, people at the Pac-12 offices were going, oh, he has such job security. You're, you're nuts. And I'm like, I don't think so, because you could see where it was headed. Like, they were flying full speed towards the wall. I think it, what's interesting is it seems like the, the further that we get away from his tenure, you start to realize that instead of bringing – the universities together, he pitted them against one another uh, is the way that I kind of perceive it because you have situations like we talked about with Ed Ray and Oregon State where it was very much, uh, well, USC and UCLA might want to do this if you don't yeah. you know, fall in line yeah. or do this aspect, right? So uh, I, the thing that I look back on uh, that I feel like you know we should have been more aware of with Larry Scott and we weren't because you were coming off of the Tom Hansen era yeah. uh, of Pac-12 com- or Pac-10 commissioners at the time. Is there was no vision forward at all to speak of. Only his job security. Right. That was the only thing he would talk about. Or I think I felt like, you know, to your point about like who he was managing or whatever, he, he only managed his own CEO group. He was only worried about his bosses. Yep. He wasn't worried about the ads or the ath- or the universities. It was those 12 bosses that he knew held his contract. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. It'd be so interesting to go back into some of those meetings and see what the how he how he framed his argument as it related to uh, the conference media rights deal and making sure that they controlled their own rights and controlled their own network and things along those lines. Because, uh, you know, he obviously uh, was a very convincing individual in the way that he expressed himself to that CEO group. Um, but. You have to imagine that there were some, at least, I hope, that could have read between the crap to realize that uh, there was something else going on here uh, that that was not going to be good in the long term for the conference. Yeah, it was it was bad. And when I go back, and I, I have so many Larry Scott cuts in the system here, but I'll just play a couple and we can kind of get to it. But, you know, when he was talking early on about the Pac-12 media model. Rather than having our rights locked down long term, in a situation we can't control, we'll be able to capitalize, both in the short term and the long term. In the coming years, I believe that the collegiate model will continue to evolve as well. I believe it will ultimately not only survive, but be strengthened by the reform movement, which the Pac-12 has played a leading role in. Ouch. (laughs) I mean, it was interesting because it's almost like he was a visionary for every other conference or for the Big Ten and the SEC. He saw it coming. He He saw it coming. It just wasn't for his conference. I mean, that's that's the most amazing thing is there's there's intelligence in what he's saying, but he didn't execute. He didn't he didn't follow through on the vision that he was sharing. And, you know, you wonder at some point, isn't his job as well to get the CEO group and the athletic directors and the presidents and the universities to invest in the athletics so that they can actually go out and compete on a week to week basis with the big 10 and sec. He couldn't, he couldn't do that. He, or he didn't do that. And that's what ultimately set the conference back. He didn't believe in football either. He didn't understand football because you know, Harvard educated tennis player, he understood tennis. He understood the Olympic sports. I think that's why the presidents who hired him at the time I think they liked him because, oh, he comes from that world, and we value that world. We're not all about football. But, you know, he came in, and he put Woody Dixon in charge of football. Woody Dixon didn't know football either. So the coaches, I remember the coaches were just up in arms. Chip Kelly, Mike Leach, they were up in arms because they were like, you got to be kidding me. We get in these meetings, and Larry's talking about rule changes, and we're trying to explain to him, here's how a football program works. 
And he's looking at him like, no, 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 this is how we're going to do it. Like, instead of going to the football coaches and going, look, football is the most important thing. It's the, it, it butters our bread. Uh, what do you need from me? Instead of saying that, he was telling them, here's what we're going to do. And they were, they hated him. Here's another Larry Scott cut. Owning and controlling our content through our own media company, the Pac-12 Networks, and having control of our rights. Uniquely amongst conference networks, we've got full control of our rights and content, which preserves the flexibility we need to adapt to this rapidly changing media landscape and provides the freedom to experiment with new technologies and ultimately will allow us to maximize our opportunities and value long term. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it sounds great, right? Yeah. But what do you hear? Adapt, flexibility. They didn't do any of no. that. Nothing, none of that ever yeah. happened. They, they did the first part, like the first ten words it's of what so he said, painful. and then nothing afterwards. It's so damn painful because, you know, when he's saying we got, we're going to control our own rights, it, you know, the content is what matters in the end. You know, you got your rights, great, but if your conference doesn't have USC, UCLA, or whatever as part of it, you don't have much to sell there yeah. in the end, and that's really going to – it hamstrings them now, but, you know, uh, it I really just, is frustrating. I think it's really interesting to watch what happens with Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. Obviously, who knows what, what rumors to believe yeah. and what not to believe, but, you know, would there be a situation in which those schools are willing to accept an offer to go to another conference at a lesser uh, revenue-sharing model than the original group's and then, you know, five years down the line, when the renegotiation takes place, they're they're up to join that. They could. The I think it will. We'll talk more about this on the yeah. other side of the break because I think there is a creative way. It's not the Big Twelve. It's the Big Ten. Yeah. But it, I think it would require this current media deal that the Big Ten's going to sign here. It's going to be a billion and a half dollars. It looks like. It would have that hat would have to be up. We'll talk more about it on the other side of the break. More with Fletcher Johnson ahead. Leave it right here. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Johnson is stuck around for a second segment. We've been talking about the Pac-12, the Oregon Ducks. We'll get to your wishes. Man, I'm excited for this college football season. Give me an idea, Fletcher. USC, Lincoln Riley. You buying or selling them as a contender in year one? Uh, contender year one, selling. Uh, you get Caleb Williams. You get uh, the wide receiver from Pittsburgh to come in. Yeah. Um, no offensive line, no defensive line. And everybody loves to talk about skill players. When Oregon was good, when USC was good, they had the best offensive and defensive lines uh, in the conference, if not among the best in the league. When Justin Herbert was a senior and they went to the Rose Bowl, what they have? They had the best offensive line uh, in the country, as voted by you know, uh, you know, the voters. So you got to have the offensive and defensive line. So I'm selling USC in year one. I am as well. Steven, you still selling the Trojans? Yeah, still selling. I, I'm with Fletcher. I just don't know that in year one it's going to work out with all the transfers coming in. You know, I've talked about it numerous times. As a college basketball guy, it, it works in college basketball. But in football, we've never seen so many transfers come in. Can they gel in one year? I just think it's going to be tough in year one for Lincoln Riley. But after year one, I think that's when they uh, take off. Yeah, they'll blossom eventually. Then they'll have to play Penn State on a – and uh, Ohio State, have to play and Michigan State, on a Thursday <laughs> night when it's sleeting yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah, and I love all this talk about like how Fox is going to put USC and UCLA on at seven thirty or seven o'clock. That's going to work. But do you think Ohio State wants to go play 
at USC at 7.30 on a Saturday night? No. No. They come home at like 3 o'clock in the morning? No. It, it, Ryan Day's not going for that either. <laughs> uh, Fletcher, you have you have a really cool thing that you started a decade ago, and I remember this. Jebner's Wish. Yeah. Talk to us about Jebner's Wish. Tell us where it started. Uh, so basically, uh, I had a college roommate. Uh, went to Clackamas High School, graduated class of 04. Uh, his name was Jeremy Ebner. And uh, we lived together during college. We're fraternity brothers. And uh, after college, uh, he came down with leukemia. Uh, and he was up at the OHS, uh, OHSU Night Cancer Institute getting treatment and started to notice that a lot of the people around him were younger than he was. He was 25, 26 years old, right? Uh, and he kind of went, you know, I want to start a fundraiser to benefit kids uh, mm-hmm. that are going through similar circumstances because wow. I can't imagine them dealing with the pain that I am and having the energy and desire to fight. Uh, and it, it drove him uh, to want to get better and, and fight through the treatment chemo and treatment so um he fought for a year and a half uh, unfortunately lost his battle uh june 2nd of 2013 and the next day myself and three friends got on a call together and said let's fulfill his dream his wish if you will um and we put together a golf tournament uh dinner and auction and that first year was in october you were there you broadcasted that. from yep. uh oregon golf club that day uh and here we are sitting here what nine years later Heading into the 10th annual event, we've raised $217,000 for Make-A-Wish uh, Oregon and then uh, also granted 35 wishes for local kids. I love that. How powerful is that, that he's in the Cancer Institute? He, you know, a lot of us would be sitting around feeling sorry for ourselves, going, you know, hey, this is, I got a bad deal. And instead, he's looking around going, what can I do to help some of these other people? Uh, I think that says a lot about him. When did you first meet him? Uh, so I met him freshman year college. Okay. Uh, but I actually had connections with him going back that I didn't realize. I had a friend who went to Clackamas High School that I grew up with uh, that was super close with him. And uh, so it was one of these things where he's just a guy that brought people together, yeah. right? I mean, I yeah. think that's the thing. His last name, uh, Ebner, in Hebrew, the root of it means father of light. Okay. Uh, and he's someone who brings people together, and he continues to bring people together on a yearly basis. I mean, I uh, kind of early on in the early stages of the golf tournament uh, became the main contact with Make-A-Wish, uh, and that eventually parlayed into me now working for them. And yeah. I think, you know, I got that job in December 2018, and it was five and a half years after he had passed away, and he's still having an impact on my life today in a big way. You I know? love that. Give me an idea. When you say grant 35 wishes, what are we talking about? Yeah, so basically uh, anything and everything in terms of the wishes. So uh, we've had wishes to go to Jedi training at Walt Disney World. We've had wishes yes, to – Yes, I'm in. Right? Like, yes. Doesn't that sound like fun? Uh, wishes to have puppies – uh, wishes to yeah go to Disneyland, Disney World, Hawaii. Um, we had a wish to uh, have a um, German Shepherd puppy and a boat. We granted a wish for a kid to have a boat. I mean, again, these are all the money that we yeah. raise funds right. the wishes, right? Sure. So um, the average cash cost of a wish is $7,500. So um, we're trying to raise as much as we can uh, and donate as much as we can uh, to that great cause to make those wishes come true. All right, golf tournament this year. Where is it happening? And for how can people get involved if they just want to support what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the golf tournament this year is tomorrow, uh, and it's at Rock Creek Country Club. We're sold out for golf and dinner. Uh, we got 140 for golf, 220 for dinner. Nice. Um, so super stoked about that. And then people can go online to our website and donate, jebnerswish.org. We're a, a verified 501c3 organization, um, and there's a donate button right there on the page that will take you to our donation page. And every little bit helps, uh, and it's all in, in memory of Jeremy to really uh, kind of uh, 
you know, make sure that his memory lives on uh, and that we grant wishes in his honor. I love that people can get involved. Was he a college football fan? He was a big college football he fan. He liked his Ducks. He liked his Ducks, yeah. absolutely. He played uh, played uh, on the offensive line for Clackamas High School. Um, their uh, 03, 04, I think, would have been his varsity years okay. uh, at Clackamas. So, yeah, he was a big football guy for sure. I love that. And how has this thing grown? Did you imagine when you guys started it, that, you know, 10 years later you'd be doing the same thing, the dinner would have 200-plus people at it. Like, event one, I remember it being a lot of friends and family. Yep, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it started off as. And, you know, the amazing thing is I would say about 70% of the people that come every year have been every year since the first year. So people bought in to support us, really enjoyed the experience, and that's what we're all about is providing an experience that's fun but not your typical charity golf tournament, yeah. right? Like, you're not getting harassed on every hole by sponsors. We yeah. have sponsors for every hole. But they're there to be like, yep, we're we're donating our money, but we're going to let your golfers go out and have a good time. Yeah. Um, and it was the perfect group of people to come together to do it. But to answer your question, uh, there is no way in heck I ever thought we'd be here in year 10. So yeah. statistically, about 55% of nonprofits fail within the first three years because there's no vision, no kind of backing behind it that really is longstanding. And so for us, I think having one singular vision to be able to grant wishes in memory of Jeremy has really allowed us to uh, stabilize uh, and create some longevity there, uh, and it's really grown from there. And it's neat for me to see you. I mean, look, you you also you still do radio. Yep. You know, you're on the Timbers broadcasts, and uh, I know that you know people know you from your time on the Ducks pre and post game show, and obviously on this show over the years, like. I've watched you grow up. You got married. You had kids, and now, <laughs> yeah. and look at now. You got two kids, and now you're working at Make a Wish. Yeah. And you're making like you're doing something that matters. The yeah. rest of us are sitting around doing radio, <laughs> and you're doing something. That you do matters. a lot that matters too. You do <laughs> a lot that matters that. too. But <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And hey, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, I have a job that fulfills me. I have a wonderful family, a beautiful wife, uh, and two wonderful kids. Uh, one of which that came to Camp Exceptional this yeah. year and had a wonderful time at that. Um, and that's that's really what it's all about and I think you know I felt like you were someone who taught me how to uh, be confident in myself early on in my professional career uh, and certainly uh, staying in touch with you and kind of learning from you yeah. as you've gone through some of the different trials and tribulations <laughs> and happy moments that yeah. you've gone through have, have, have certainly had an impact for sure. Let me ask you we're visiting with Fletcher Johnson he's in studio today uh, you know Stephen and Sean fairly new to this show yeah you know, there's uh, I keep a notebook that has everybody who's ever worked on the show. Okay, <laughs> hundreds of names in there. Yeah, give these guys some advice because you had staying power. Like you, you were here, yeah. and you stuck. Well, how do you stick? How do you stick? Uh, you know what I would say is, uh, how do you deal with me? <laughs> More importantly, uh, you know, hey, I think I think you have to earn respect, right? That's what it's about. When you earn the respect, uh, the rest kind of falls in line. And I think early on, um, if I think back to the early days of the bald faced truth, uh, when we were on Bancroft uh, back yeah. in that old building, yeah, uh, there were some times where I had to I had to earn my keep, you know, when I was answering the phones on the BFT. Did I ever yell at you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> heck yeah, you did. Hey, that's fine. That that helped me learn, right? There were some times where I had to tell you to kind of, you know. Go take care of yourself. Yeah, I'll do back, my thing, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? But that's how you learn. And so, yeah, I guess my advice would be the couple pieces of advice that I got from uh, from my time in radio, a couple of them came from you, is is just to be confident in who you are, uh, you know, study up. You're the expert. You're on the radio because you've done the research and made the effort to learn and study these things to be able to talk about them, right? So you kind of do those things, and then you treat people, you know, the way yeah. you want to be treated. Treat them with respect, and 
that's that's I think what's gotten me to where I'm at. Uh, work hard, take care of your business, and uh, love your family. Love your family. Be, love your family before you love your job. Oh, that's right. Your job. Your job will step right over your cold body. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real about that. Uh, and here's another thing you'll note because you're here and you've been around me a lot. There there are no hardly any notes in front of me. Okay. There's no transcript there's two computer screens i'm not doing anything on any of them nothing here is scripted i get the sense that probably sean and steven i don't want to speak for you guys but you guys probably view me as a little bit scattered <laughs> i don't stay on time i kind of do what i want to do they have to get in my ear a lot like steven right before the break was like getting in my ear to talk to me about something yeah but i know what i want to do like i want the show to go where it wants to go because i know what as a listener what i want to hear is i don't want to hear somebody scripted and you know constrained by what yep. is going on i want the show to kind of flow yep yep absolutely that's huge uh, i think that's that's one of the most important things you know you can very easily tell it tv news is great for what it is but it's very scripted yes. you know everything is written down and that's one of the great things about this medium um i think as well it's helped me kind of grow into being able to speak uh, relatively easily and not think twice like i'll go back and watch myself and go gosh what was i doing or why was i moving my hands that way or what have <laughs> you right but uh you know like kind of perfect example is tomorrow night uh, I'm going to be giving a speech at the dinner portion of the event that I kind of didn't know I was going to be given until about eight hours ago and uh, I'm not I'm going to have notes and stuff yeah. but I'm not going to script anything out and I'm not going to practice it in front of anyone ahead of time because I want it to seem natural yes. and not rehearsed right yeah, which it should be yeah like you know that's how people talk I remember uh, early on I was real nervous like very first time I did a show like 17 years ago and I wrote a bunch of things down and I realized I was real stiff about it you know we don't do that anymore. Uh, Stephen and Sean, you got a question for Fletcher? This is your last chance to, to ask him. <laughs> Survival instincts. No, I, I wrote down everything you said. So <laughs> I love it. Take it a little, little bit of gospel, yeah. not too Fletcher, much. Though. Fletcher, just how hot are the timbers right now? They're hot. Uh, nine unbeaten. Uh, you know, certainly would like to have some more wins in there. Uh, but I think given everything that they've faced so far this season, playing well, um, they've had to deal with a lot of off-the-field rumors, uh, and I think they've handled it really well. And look, one of the changes with going back to kind of this post-COVID, if you will, model of MLS is there's only 10 matches left in the regular season, so they're going to be wrapping up the regular season basically by the end of September. So we're kind of in the thick of uh, watching the table, watching the playoff line, yeah. and seeing where this team's going to end up. Yeah. And that's the great thing about American sports, right, is getting to the playoffs. They and just got a draw as a last night, right? Yes, draw. one one draw with See? Nashville. Is that that's see that's the thing that frustrates me still about soccer. <laughs> you and you I and need, my mother in law. I need a result. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Like a win or a loss. Absolutely, absolutely. But you know what? You get a point out of it. The, fr a, the frustrating it's part not for zero. Me is is why is they I know it's unbeaten because they haven't been beaten, but I feel like they need a new word for when they haven't lost for so many games. You know what I'm saying? Like they tied. Yeah, I understand they're not been beaten, but they didn't yeah. win. I think we should just say they're feeling good about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Nine games. yeah. 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 No, I mean, hey, look, uh, everything that they've gone through, they just lost their last year's leading scorer to a knee injury for the remainder of the season or knee surgery for the remainder of the season. So, uh, you know, I think they've got a chance to make the playoffs. Uh if I had to be a betting man right now, I would say they probably won't, won't make MLS Cup again. Um, but every year that they've made it, they haven't been the favorite. Right. So you never know. Lightning in a bottle. All right. Uh, for, again, for people who want to make a donation. Yes. Jebnerswish.org. J-E-B-N-E-R-S. Wish.org is where you can go. Support it. Uh, make a wish happen for a, for a kid out there and keep the legacy. Jebner's wish and that legacy alive. Fletcher Jonathan, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks for, for popping me. in. Leave it here. you got the BFT.